Yeah, probably me. Oh, that was the first thing that I recorded. So we are going to be talking about uh, continuing with Dark Passion. I want us to continue reading this. Uh, because of the timing that we have of things, uh, I encourage you to read the rest of it. And if you have any questions or something, you go, what? Let me know so we can discuss it. Uh, it's helpful, like I said at the beginning, to at least have some idea, if you haven't read either Fathers, to read some of the Fathers. Um, uh, to get an idea, because we've talked about in the past in the classes, we've talked about Paul, we talked about spiritual warfare, we talked about uh, Christology, some and Trinitarian, and then we've been talking about a lot of stuff. So I, I just wanted us to dig in and get a little bit of experience, especially as you guys are coming here, and it's Linton. So, uh, but after we cover that section, um, we will then discuss confession. Which have we discussed confession? We kind of a little bit, but but now you guys are coming close to it. So if you guys have questions as you've experienced a little bit more of church, or even reading something like this, <laughs> uh, how do I go about confession? Uh, and then I'll just kind of talk about what confession is for you. What do you? Let's start with prayer. Well, heavenly King, we come from the Spirit of Truth. Our temporary presence fills all things. Treasure and blessings and give our lives from an abiding sentence from every purity and save our souls a good one. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. Who would like uh, to read this next section? I'll just go ahead and start. Our second struggle is against the demon of unchastity and the desire of the flesh, a desire which begins to trouble man from the time of his youth. This harsh struggle has to be fought in both soul and body, and not simply in the soul, as in the case with others' faults. We therefore have to fight it on two fronts. Okay, let's just stop there. First, context. When you're reading something like John Cashin, who is his audience, his primary audience? Monastics, okay? This is a, a simple uh, rule of thumb when you're reading orthodox things. Uh, a lot of them are towards monastics. So, why would I point to that and underline that? So we don't uh, get scandalized by how There's that, the, intent, the, scandal, the possibility of scandal, because you're just like, <laughs> yeah. right? The other is just to remember... This is also, and this is more positive than just kind of like you might get scandalized, is this means this is addressed to a, and we're an active community, but this is like family, right? Like this is guys who live with each other, who like probably had fisticuffs at some point or something, like guys that they <laughs> who live together will get to, you know, or, you know, there, there is actual context in somebody that someone's obedient to, there's a shared, it's all that. So... These contexts are really helpful, so uh, you, you wonder why like I try to warn or guard against despondency, is I've just seen it too much, where folks start reading some of this stuff, and they realize, oh my goodness, I am so far from this. Just take a deep breath. You are, if we're talking about the ladder this week, like, you are, and you will probably remain on the first three or four rungs for most of your life, if not most of it, okay? Um... For, and the, it, John uh, Climacus in the beginning of the latter even addresses this, where he talks, where there's a question for those who can't live like an ascetical life like these monks. And the response is basically do good, go to church, 
Um, do not disturb, this is one specific that pops out that uh, it goes along with this, do not disturb the happiness of another couple's bed, right? No adultery, <laughs> right? Like, it's kind of like, duh, but like, he's just like, do give all, like, do the basic Christian stuff and you will be safe. So they realize the context of the cross of a child because they don't have a child. They have, they are taking a different path, okay? So the other thing is then the question, what does he mean that we've got two fights, a fight on two fronts? So why would that be two different fights? Especially since I've been talking about this whole time, like they're together, they're together, we're like combined. What would be what would be a different uh, a soul uh, sorry a sin of like the spirit of the soul versus a sin like this which is like a combination of the two? Sin of the soul might be something like uh, something like that. Maybe. This one's compelled by like the, the body's pulling you. Right. So one that I think would be I, I think that works. So one that is uh, very clear uh, is heresy is a sin of the spirit, right? Like, it's a, it's an intellect, it's a, it doesn't have to do with your body. It can affect that because of that, but it's not a particular passion that besets the body. It's something amiss in your understanding. Have a blessed week. So, um, pride could be like that. I mean, you could go down. You know, it's interesting. There's one, um, he teaches uh, at Holy Cross, uh, the seminary in Brookline, uh, Timothy, Dr. Timothy Patitsis. He talks about one of the major, and this kind of gets at what we've been talking about, and I've kind of talked about it in like what most of us would contemporarily express. There was a shift that occurred, and it's pretty early in the East and the West. And not that this is like a deal breaker of communion between Latin and Greek or that those, but that the West decided that the more important thing to focus on is sins of the spirit or the mind, the intellect. The East said, no, 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 no. It's the sins of the body. Those are more important. And you can, you can probably see immediately how you can get Calvinism <laughs> or you can get like very rarefied debates in certain Roman Catholic circles about very particular principle, like Thomistic principles, or or like, and then in the East they're like, so what are you eating? <laughs> what what are you doing? And you're like, what the? It, it, it really it's it's this shift, and I know I, I probably am being a, a, a beating a dead horse, but. I, part of the reason is that I need to hear this because I am so shaped and like, I'm just going to read and I'm going to read and I'm read and I'll figure my way out of this. And the fathers are like, that's not your problem. It might be a part of your problem. Like if I believe something heretical about Jesus or the Holy Spirit, that will affect what I believe. The real problem is that I'm really slothful. <laughs> I'm full of anger. I'm full of lust. I'm full like... And I say chief those things all the time. So, like, I can't see God. Right? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So, he talks about that. That doesn't mean, I'm mean, saying that, like, you can see in the West how there develops, and in the East, like, it doesn't mean that we don't care about 
theology. We don't care about things of the mind. But the primary thing in the, and the relationship with like the spiritual father, you don't really read that stuff in the West. It's, it is more of like, what do you believe? Um, and I, and this, this permeates because even after you become Orthodox here in the church and then you encounter all of these ideas or like, and they're new to you and you're just like, wait a second, we should really be on the old calendar. The new calendar is just like, and if you don't even know what that issue is about, God bless you, but you probably already know. <laughs> And then you like leave the church, and you don't talk to me. You just leave, and you just go to another place that does a little calendar. The best thing for you to do, first of all, just talk to me. I'm I'm reasonable. I'm open. I have like you're not going to hurt my feelings. Well, you can, but I'm not, like this is not one of those places. Uh, I'm not invincible. Um, but you know that there's this desire, this like to be right, <laughs> to be with the right group, and then on some level that is right. But it's so easy. We can be tempted so much to be sectarian or to like, want to grab onto really specific things. And almost every time I have encountered this, it's always like, so who are you in obedience to? Who, who's your spiritual father? Who do you confess to? How often do you actually confess? Are you, are you actually attending to the things that are actually destroying your soul? Are you now using a really like... A thing that synods have ruled on and you're deciding that you have decided this is what really needs to be. So, I say this because this past year, you can imagine with COVID, this has caused all sorts of opportunities to have all sorts of debates about stuff and to disagree and all of that. On some level, like, that's okay. I'm not saying turn off your brain, don't have opinions, don't disagree with things, but your impulse should not be to schism. <laughs> to leave the church, to go find, like, the uber right, and that's not even a comment about them, that's like, you'd be doing and making that decision because you've decided, uh, again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not putting aside that there are, there are things that you need to be seeking that are truthful, and there are times in which, even in the church, you need to be aware and discerning. Okay. I don't know how we're going to talk about both these things, I talk too much. <laughs> let's, let's keep moving. Who would like to read the next two paragraphs? Please. Bodily fasting alone is not enough to bring about perfect self-restraint and true purity. It must be accompanied by contrition of, of heart, intense prayer to God, frequent meditation on the scriptures, toil, and manual labor. These are able to check the restless impulses of the soul and to recall it from its shameful fantasies. Humility of the soul helps more than anything else, however, and without without it no one can overcome the unchastity or any other can overcome unchastity or any other sin. In the first place, then, we must take our the utmost care to guard the heart from the base thoughts, for according to the Lord, out of the heart proceed out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, unchastity, and so on. Matthew fifteen nineteen. We are told to fast not only to mortify our body, but also to keep our intellect watchful so that it will not be obscured because of the amount of food we have eaten and thus be unable to guard its thoughts. We must not, therefore, expend all our effort in bodily fasting. We must also give attention to our thoughts and to spiritual meditation, since otherwise we will not be able to advance to the heights of true purity and chastity. As our Lord has said, we should cleanse first the inside of the cup and plate, so that their outside may also be clean. Matthew twenty three twenty six. Thank you, Alex. So, 
we have, because last week we talked about fasting, and even today, uh, in the homily, because the gospel set for this Sunday, was talking about uh, the mute spirit and Jesus telling his disciples who are unable to deal with it, this only comes out through prayer and fasting. So, uh, what Cashin, though, is we focus so much in trying to underline and emphasize, especially in our culture, the importance of fasting, he says, yeah, but that's not, that's not the it, that's it, right? Because demons don't eat food. <laughs> like, that's not the only thing that keeps us from wanting to follow after our own passions or walk away from God, right? It is a tool, and it needs to be used as a tool. There are other tools that we have to attend to. And contrition of heart, intense prayer to God, frequent meditation on the scriptures, toil and manual labor. You know, for us, we don't really have built in anymore toil and manual labor, unless you choose to do it. There's few jobs that actually do toil and manual labor, really. Um, do what? Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> well, and they usually, un unfortunately, be partly, uh, we have an inheritance of kind of degrading uh, manual labor. Um, this actually comes from Aristotle. He, he uh, degrades manual labor. Um, but you see in the fathers, there's not a degradation of manual labor because they see it, rightfully so. I mean, I can only speak as a man. Sorry, right? Like, I'm not going to speak for a woman. Like, there is something about actually doing manual labor that extinguishes and directs your energies. That sitting around watching Netflix or playing video games or on your phone does not do. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, what Cashin underlines uh, is not only these practices and something like manual labor. But he emphasizes humility and that we cannot, um, without humility, be able to overcome this. And if you'll, uh, we haven't read it yet, but there's a reason why this humility uh, is being underlined. And that specifically goes to the other part of, the, of today's gospel reading, the prayer part. If we're going to overcome this, uh, that particular struggle, and this goes along with all the struggles, like this is his opportunity to talk about chats. You know, there's a reason why we talk about lust, because it's a very strong drive given to all of us. You're usually pretty un uh, unusual if you don't have <laughs> strong sexual desire. It was made so that we can have children. <laughs> it is programmed into us in the same way that hunger is programmed into us. So, stomach, lower regions, they are connected. Uh, they, and not just in proximity, but also like in uh, spiritual warfare. So, um, does anyone have any questions or should we go ahead and keep reading on? Keep reading. All right. Who would like to read the next? All right, hold on one second. I just want to make sure that, because folks, that, whoever listens to this. If we are really eager, as the apostle puts it, to struggle, to struggle lawfully and to be crowned for overcoming the impure spirit of unchastity, we should not trust in our own strength and ascetic practice, but in the help of our master God. No one ceases to be attacked by this demon, 
until he truly believes that he will be healed and reach the heights of purity, not through his own effort and labor, but through the aid and protection of God. For such a victory is beyond man's natural powers. Indeed, he who has trampled down the pleasure and provocations of the flesh is in a certain sense outside the body. Thus, no one can soar to this high and heavenly prize of holiness on his own wings and learn to imitate the angels, unless the grace of God leads him upwards from this earthly mire. Read one more paragraph. No virtue makes flesh-bound man so like a spiritual angel as does self-restraint, for it enables those still living on earth to become, as the apostle says, citizens of heaven. A sign that we have acquired this virtue perfectly is that our soul ignores those images which the defiled fantasy produces during sleep. For even if the production of such images is not a sin, nevertheless it is a sign that the soul is ill and has not been freed from passion. We should therefore regard the defiled fantasies that arise in us during sleep as the proof of our previous indolence and weakness still existing in us, since the emission which takes place while we are relaxed in sleep reveals the sickness that lies hidden in our souls. Because of this, the doctor of our souls has also placed the remedy in the hidden regions of the soul, recognizing that the cause of our sickness lies there when he says, whoever looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He seeks to correct not so much our inquisitive and unchaste eyes, as the soul which has its seat within and makes bad use of the eyes, which God gave it for good purposes. That is why the book of Proverbs and its wisdom does not say, guard your eyes with all diligence, but guard your heart with all diligence, imposing the remedy of diligence in the first instance upon that which makes use of the eyes for whatever purpose it desires. So... Cashin draws out more specifically what I was preaching about uh, in regards and referring to the icon, where uh, in this icon of John of the Ladder, you have the hand of God kind of coming over. So like, yes, prayer and fasting is how we get up there, but it's God who's got to come down and bless uh, to allow that work, that desire on our part where he enkindles it, he brings it to himself, and he fulfills it. Because we're not going to be able to overcome any of the passions, much less uh, lust, without uh, God through his aid and protection. So as, as Cashin says, such a victory is beyond man's natural powers. We're not going to be able to do this. We might be able to. You can find uh, ascetical uh, philosophers and Greco-Roman, uh, Indian, um, Chinese, wherever, like the ancient wisdom traditions that exist or are still with us. Um, but it's also, I've heard enough and read enough to know there is interesting, with, with those circles, there can be interesting sexual weird stuff going on. Because there's something about like trying to climb the heights and uh, power that elicits uh, sensuality. If, if the canons of the church, when it, in regards to like deposition of clergy, do you know what the two things that are basically just like, bam, you're deposed? Sexual sins, money. If I was to embezzle money from the church, I get deposed. 
If I was to cheat on my wife, I get deposed. That that's just and the, like other things, there's like some that you work with, but those are like like it's strong. So that gives you an idea of the church wisdom, because we're talking about something that's very powerful issues compared to this one. Joseph won't mind. But we also see here um, how, well, first, they obviously had to deal with the same things that we have to deal with. This also gives you another uh, way to see that the fathers are intimately aware of what it means to be a human being. Uh, I mean, he's talking about a wet dream here. Let's just call a spade a spade. That's what he's talking about. Now, what, when he talks about this, he, he talks about, uh, on 76, uh, a sign that we have acquired this virtue perfectly is that our soul ignores those images which the defiled fantasy produces during sort of sleep. For even if the production of such images is not a sin... So what is he talking about? This isn't something that you would encounter if you, when you come to confession with me. There is, we, we are so used to the idea that like, if the idea pops into my head, I'm guilty. Right? The teaching of the fathers, and they're getting this from scripture too, is, you know, there's one thing to see a woman or a man uh, and to lust after them, some of that is just natural to be attracted to. The question is, all right, there's that first or the image or the memory uh, that comes back. Uh, now is the opportunity. Now the fight is engaged. What are you going to do now that the image has, has come into your mind or the desire has arisen? And you go, okay, I see you. I like that. As soon as you start doing that, then you're, you are moving. So sin is like... They have a whole psychology of sin, and I don't know if we've talked about. I think I've talked about this a little bit, but how here you can see it like directly written in the fathers, uh, and it's to me it's an echo of the first chapter of James, where first sin is introduced as a thought, then you assent to the thought basically, and say, yes, I desire that too, and usually at this point, if it's a habit, the fathers will teach you don't even have the battle. The image is present, the desire is present, and you're there. You're all in. You have no, you have no resistance. You have no, like, you're just, you're done. I think we all can <laughs> think of some habits that we have. All right. So what he is saying, though, is like, there, it, you're not necessarily culpable. But it does show, right? It's a sign that your soul is ill. Because you shouldn't be having, you shouldn't be able to recall a beautiful man or a beautiful uh, woman. Beautiful man, I don't like to say beautiful man. A handsome man and a beautiful woman. I feel like beautiful man makes like you're talking about an effeminate man. I don't mean that. Um, Paul does say effeminacy is something to damn you to hell. Because <laughs> he talks in the list about those who do not inherit the kingdom of heaven. He talks about effeminacy. Not just what was effeminacy. Anyways, that's a whole other <laughs> Um, but when you are able to see there's actually a Sinaxari, a story of one of the saints uh, where I mean they've had provocative dancing from you know before as soon as there's a thing they, that, that was a thing right and this bishop was present at some party or something and like this woman was brought out to dance and that people are scandalized but he was just like 
wasn't she beautiful? Like, she danced so well. Like, glory to God for making... And they're like, because he didn't have in his heart lust. He just saw beauty and just said, glory to God. Now, should we all, like, expose ourselves to that kind of stuff? No, that's not a good idea. Uh, I wouldn't imagine or trust yourself that that would be... But we also see here that what it is, it's about where our heart is, right? The, the doctor of our souls, that God is the doctor of our souls, has put it deep within our, our heart. It's not our eyes, but it's the use of our eyes according to our desire. That's where it's at. That's where the, bat, the real battle is going to take place. And that is why I think you will see... Um, that we need various things. I think. I think it was a sermon I gave at a pre-sanctified on Friday morning. One of the um, prayers uh, specifically talks about, and it goes through the different senses, and what our senses need to be focused on or opposing, because uh, we can even smell things, and it can take us back down memory lane, right? Uh, just like in a good way that you come to church and you smell church now. Hi. Joseph this morning we're driving here and he's like, I can't wait to go to church. I love the way church smells. I just love incense. <laughs> what we hear can bring up sort of what we see, what we put our eyes on. Uh, even what we taste, what we like, besides where our feet and what our hands and what the rest of us uh, is drawn to do. So we need to guard ourselves and our senses. All right, let's uh, keep reading so we can get through this section and talk about confession, which is a place where we can talk about these things in our struggles. Rocky, do you want to <coughs> Sounds good to me. The way to keep guard over our heart is immediately to expel from the mind every demon-inspired recollection of women, even of mother or sister or any other devout woman, lest by dwelling on it for too long the mind is thrown headlong by the deceiver into debased and pernicious thoughts. The commandment given by God to the first man, Adam, told him to keep watch over the head of the serpent, that is, over the first inklings of the pernicious thoughts, by means of which the serpent tries to creep into our souls. If we do not admit the serpent's head, which is the provocation of the thought, we will not admit the rest of its body, that is, the ascent to the sensual pleasure, which the thought suggests, and so debase the mind towards the illicit act itself. Keep reading. As it is written, we should early in the morning destroy all the wicked of the earth, Distinguishing in the light of the divine knowledge our sinful thoughts and then eradicating them completely from the earth, our hearts in accordance with the teaching of the Lord. While the children of Babylon, by which I mean our wicked thoughts, are still young, we should dash them to the ground and crush them against the rock, which is Christ. If these thoughts grow stronger because we assent to them, we will not be able to overcome them without much pain and labor. So these are more metaphors for what we were just talking about. The serpent... The, uh, have you ever read that psalm that he's talking about there? We sing it right before Lent, uh, by the rivers of Babylon, and we sat down and cried, and it takes, take the, the children of Babylon and crush their heads to, against the rocks. Yeah. This is where you get uh, historical critical. They're like, Scripture is crazy. Well, what are the, what, how do the fathers interpret it? It's not just Cashin. Uh, Maximus Confessor interprets it like this, and St. Benedict and Nursia interprets it like this. They see that and they say, we're not talking about bashing the heads of children against rocks. We're talking about bashing the beginning thoughts that are coming into our minds of evil thoughts and destroy them. Because where, what is Babylon but the place you know, of evil? So that is how they interpret that. Any other questions?
I mean, he goes pretty far. If you were to come, not just any rec recollection of any woman, but a demon-inspired recollection of a woman, and he's, he's really specific. Like, even if it's your mother or sister or any other devout woman. Now, of course, he's talking to monastics who haven't seen women most of the time. A lot of monastics are enclosed and they don't actually depend. It's in different monasteries. There was a bunch of monasteries in Constantinople, so it'd be hard for you not to see a woman if you're in the major city, right? Any questions about that? So, uh, I will go ahead and read to the end here. It is good to remember the sayings of the fathers as well as the passages from Holy Scripture cited above. That is always good to remember the, the sayings of the fathers in Scripture. For example, St. Basil, Basil the Great, Bishop of Caesarea in Cappadocia, said, I have not known a woman, and yet I am not a virgin. He recognized that the gift of virginity is achieved not so much by abstaining from intercourse with, women, with woman as by holiness and purity of soul, which in its turn is achieved through fear of God. The fathers also say that we cannot fully acquire the virtue of purity unless we have first acquired real humility of heart. And we will not be granted true spiritual knowledge so long as the passion of chastity lies hidden in the depths of our souls. Okay, there's a lot going on in just this paragraph. Besides the fact that it's basically great, who is great. So he says he's been unchaste even though he's a virgin, physically. So this then gets to a, a layer that, um, so I'm married, you guys are obviously married. Uh, there is, the fathers, and this might be a little like, okay, that's interesting, I haven't thought of it like that. Uh, there's ways in which uh, marital relations can be unchaste. Now what do I mean by that? There, it is very easy or tempting or just a basic challenge that in coming together as man and wife, you come together selfishly and purposefully for just the physical aspect of it. Even though it's like licit and lawful, right? You can abuse it because you're not coming together in actual, I would say the way in which this is overcome is through being prayerful, but also like actually attentive and connected to husband and wife. Because then it can just there's ways in which we're, we're far away from chastity, okay? Because of what Basil is saying here, right? Uh, chastity is not just the fact that you're, you know, married and therefore whatever happens, happens. That's not how the fathers think about it. Because you can still, you know, be like, I can still have lust for my wife. Yeah, you can have, there's good sexual, like, desire, and there's ways in which you're just using them. It's like, we don't, we know as an ethical thing, you don't have to have confidence, right? Like, that to use someone as a thing is to denigrate them, is to sin against them, is to use them. So, um, this is where even for married couples, chastity, outside of like, <laughs> lusting after a woman that's not your wife, or, you know, that's, there's always that challenge. Now you have a challenge that's even, it's not, you know, I've heard, it's like, once I get married, every, all of that will go away. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, the other thing here that I said is heavy is, besides real humility of heart, is we will not be granted true spiritual knowledge so long as the passion of the chastity lies within us. Right? We won't see God unless we attain, are struggling to attain purity of heart. Let me read this last chap, uh, paragraph. To bring this section of our treatise to a close, let us recall one of the apostle's sayings with further which further illustrates his teaching on how to acquire self-restraint. 
He says, Pursue peace with all men and the holiness without which no one will see God. It is clear that he is talking about self-restraint from what follows, lest there be any unchaste or profane person such as Esau. The more heavenly angelic the degree of holiness, the heavier are the enemy's attacks to which it is subjected. We should therefore try to achieve not only bodily control, but also contrition of heart with frequent prayers of the repentance, so at the dew of the Holy Spirit we may extinguish the furnace of our flesh, kindled daily by the king of Babylon with the bellows of desire. In addition, a great weapon has been given us in the form of sacred vigils, for just as the watch we keep over our thoughts by day brings us holiness at night, so vigil at night brings purity to the soul by day. So, one of the aspects that you will experience, not just with the challenge of chastity or self-restraint, is as you are drawing close to, he's talking about purity, I think a little bit later down the road than just uh, joining yourself to the church. But this is an opportune time. Uh, maybe you all, because you all guys have been in the catechism for a while, uh, the experience of drawing near to the church uh, even like the next few weeks for you guys, and even for, you know, there, this is always a time when things start to bubble up, when you start questioning things, when you start feeling overwhelmed and battling with things, like you thought that you had things under control in a certain way, and then all of a sudden it's just like you get punched in the gut and you just like have royal fallout or, you know, some relationship just falls apart or... Something happens. What happens? And even after that, there's then, this is something that I, I try with all catechisms. It's like, right now, at least as far as I know, everybody is kind of like, all right, yes, I'm doing this. I'm committed. This is what I want to do. Uh, I'm even like excited about this. I have it. You become Orthodox. And then it's two, two months later, and you're just like, what did I do? Why did I sign up to fast like this? Why do I have to go to confession? I've already went to confession. I thought I was supposed to be holy by now. Like, and this will happen. So there's like the honeymoon phase ends, just like in a marriage, where you actually realize what you committed yourself to. Everybody has this. And if you haven't yet, I'm sure you guys have had this, right? Otherwise, <laughs> you wouldn't be able to parent a child very well. Because <laughs> that conflict would keep going. Um, specifically, uh, is the tool of confession. And coming to the church, we do a life confession. This is an opportunity for you to really kind of give uh, an overview of your life. Now, what this does not mean is like um, you're writing your own confessions like St. Augustine, and you go back and you talk about, you know, the pair, the, the, the pair that you wanted and that you stole and like you don't have to give a whole bunch of stories about things um, confession is something that you have prepared you and through your own vigilance and through your own self-awareness that you have been practicing uh, you basically know and probably remember 
And then think about different like stages of your life. You don't have to remember like when I was 13, I stole 20 bucks from my mom and I bought a pack of cigarettes, right? Like that's that's something worth confessing, but uh, you probably for that like period of time like I was steal like I stole like I was disrespectful to my parents. Like you can just go. You, you don't. What I'm trying to get at is you can. And what you should focus on is kind of like distilling what are those sins. That doesn't mean that I'm kind of like, oh no, he's just said like the most simple things possible. To me, I'm assuming you put thought into this. You've been prayerful about this. And you've distilled down to me. And you're able to crystallize and see this is what I did. And this is what I don't want to do anymore. And these are my struggle. Like these are my ongoing things. Uh, and that doesn't mean <laughs> you would talk during confession, but what I, what I, I sometimes in confession it can it becomes like a story, and what I mean by a story is just kind of like telling me how you got to that place and like what's going on. Like, all right, I'm just gonna be. I'm not a therapist. I am like what, a doctor of the soul. Like I'm supposed to be kind of like a surgeon in a certain way. Uh, if you want to have more in-depth conversations with me about it, and, and when you're first confession, especially, and, and before coming into church, that is something where you can say, like, these are some things that, you know, I would like some advice on. Um, uh, even uh, in before coming to the church, you know, meeting and talking with the priest and getting a little bit of advice uh, about particular struggles or things, that's just spiritual direction. Right? That's coming and getting some advice. That can happen in, in confession, and it does happen in confession. I try and encourage to put a little bit of distance between those things, partly as a... And they can happen at the same time, but, like, for example, if you're coming on Saturday night and you want to go to confession and there's five people in front of you, it's really hard to dedicate 30 minutes to you. Sometimes this just happens. But if we're in a regular cycle of you coming to confession, then we can sit down and have a coffee and we can talk about, like... You struggle with anger, <laughs> or give me a suggest something to read, or a suggestion to read, or some prayers, or things that I could do for repentance uh, to help with my repentance. Uh, confession, uh, I encourage. Uh, in some prayer books, you'll see them list the Ten Commandments and kind of going through the Ten Commandments. You know, because you might be surprised about how people come to confession. They're just kind of like, I don't really know, Father, like. You know, I didn't really like fast, and I don't really say my prayers, and I'm kind of like, that's the beginning of things. I, I assure you, like, there, there's got to be more going on with you than that. Because if you're not doing that, then your habits are you're completely <laughs> ensnared, right? Like, you're shackled. So you've got to figure out what your shackles are, or otherwise you can't make any headway on it. Um, Confession, I, I suggest, at, at minimum, is four times a year. And I encourage around the, the fasts, because we have four big fasts. If you would like to do that more often, you know, you and I can talk about it, and we can discern something. Um, the biggest thing is always feeling shame, or ashamed, or afraid about telling, because you're, you know, as the prayer says, like, you're not confessing to me, per se, right? Like, you're confessing to God. I'm present. I'm a witness. I'm a mediator in a sense. Like, I, I, I can give advice and I give absolution because God operates through uh, his, the priesthood. 
don't be ashamed, don't be afraid. I've already heard it. And I'm already expecting certain things. Because women have particular proclivities and men have certain proclivities. Some of them are similar, some of them are different, but I kind of have an idea of like five basic things that I'm going to hear. And if I don't, it's not that I'm actively like, oh, I wonder about that. I'm just waiting for the next confession where they feel comfortable to, <laughs> to say that because that's usually what's going on. Um, in some ways, one of the things I like to say is to try and encourage <laughs> is that sin is not interesting or original. So if you feel like you are special or something in your sin, more often than not, you are pretty much uh, run-of-the-mill in regards to whatever it is that you're struggling with. There's a reason why, for example, lust is the second thing that Cashin talks about. He's been around humans. He's a human. So, is there any questions? I kind of get used to giving the spiel about confession, but um, it it is always good, you know, to just to want to talk about something, and then even kind of use that opportunity to be able to do confession. Um, you know, this is a mark, I think, sometimes of those who've grown up in the church and converts. Um, those who've grown up in the church, they come and they talk to me about things and they want to do confession. And converts, they want to come and they want to talk. And they want that and that's what they want to do. They just want to come and talk. Like I'm a therapist. And I'm not. I mean, I can give you basic advice. But, I mean, I'm only in my mid-30s. I only have so much wisdom. <laughs> like, and most of the stuff I tell you is what I've read and what advice and wisdom has been given to me that comes from the fathers in regards to these things. So, um, there's nothing like, you could say like, oh, I don't know, why do I need that? Or why do I... Being able to own what you struggle with in the presence of someone else, in the presence of God, more specifically, that itself is freeing. Because it gets you out of secrecy. It gets you out of like the darkness. And it brings it into the light. And it exposes it and it gives you accountability. It's, it is all, and, and there's something just about the power of the sacrament itself. Even if you're like really known and you've been struggling, you've been like talking to God about these things, to come to, to the actual sacrament and to hear depart and be like, don't, don't worry about the sins that you, you are forgiven. That act, as we've been saying in the sacraments, it does something to you. It's not just a formality. Any questions about what we read or confession? Everyone's looking forward to confession, right? <laughs> At some point, you, you, you actually look forward to confession. <laughs> Actually, uh, with Shimon talking about uh, confession and the need for humility, that's what. How, how do you get the cashin right? What was one of the main themes he was just talking about? Humility, humility, humility. 
There's, there's no other sacrament that really keys in with the humility and shame and all of that stuff to really get to the heart of things. To expose yourself in front of somebody else and the nakedness of your, like, not your body, but like what, your state of your soul, that will teach you humility. And you have like uh, St. Sophronia and St. Silwan, they'll talk about like, you come to confession and there's kind of a self-sacrifice and self-crucifixion uh, in that. Uh, and the exposing of yourself, uh, you know, the opening up uh, of yourself and, and doing that gives great grace. And being able to hear what the priest has to say sometimes, okay, so then what happens if I don't say anything? You're like three confessions in, and the first two I've said something, the third I don't say anything, I just read absolution, and, you know, God bless you, goodbye. That doesn't mean that I don't love you, that I don't care, <laughs> that... Um, it doesn't really mean anything. It's just for whatever reason, because I'm praying beside you, I either discern I don't need to say anything right now. They've made a good confession or this sounded like the last one. They're here again the next time. It's not that I also remember every single confession either, but generally the same trend will come up and I'll realize that we have a trend going on. <clears throat> and so I might ask a few questions or suggest something. But don't, don't be saddened if I don't say anything. That doesn't mean that you're even, outside of even talking about me, that you're really, really bad. And like, I just was dumbstruck. <laughs> and I don't say anything. Sometimes I just don't say anything. All right? Here, here's another rule, too, that I would say is, in regards to confession. Um, if you are traveling and going other places, if you want, if, especially if you're going to be gone for a while, come and confess with me before going. Because... I will know you. And there might be something attractive about going somewhere else and confessing, but usually they don't know you. And they really won't know what to say or to do. They might give you a basic thing of advice. And this especially goes for like monasteries. If you're going to go to a monastery and you're thinking about confessing something, you need to talk to me first. Because as you've read, like the intensity that you get there, monasteries can provide an intensity that you're not ready for. Okay? If you were to fall into some of the things that we've been talking about uh, in this section on cashing, and you confess them in certain monasteries, you could be given a penance of not receiving communion for years. Okay? I don't operate like that. So don't, <laughs> like, because if I was actually doing that, nobody at St. Anne's would be communing. Okay? So I can't operate like that. That doesn't mean in getting a penance. So I need to talk about penances just a little bit. Penance is basically, you probably know what a penance is, right? So you probably in your mind think Catholic and you think Hail, Hail Marys or things like that. No, I might, I, I might, so not, I don't always say like, honestly, I don't usually say, here's your penance. What I say is, this is what I suggest that you do. <laughs> you should do the prayer, what I've been recently just kind of giving out is like, make sure that you're being faithful to the prayer of St. Ephraim and you're doing it in the morning and you're doing the evening and you're doing the prostrations with it. Now, that doesn't sound like I'm giving you a penance, but what it is, it's giving you something spiritual to work on that, get, that you know that in the struggles, whatever it is, you actually have something to do to pray, besides keeping the fast, right? Like, that you actually have content to be focused on. Okay, that's usually... And there might be a time where I say, okay, we're going to go a month without communion. And then because of this pernicious, you know, challenge that you're having... Uh, 
But this is something that would I, I would take a lot of discernment and communication with you. Because a lot of us are really weak. Let's just be frank. A lot of us are really weak. And to hear something like that, we just fall apart. Speaking of falling apart and the weakness of the flesh, you need to go to sleep, don't you? Yes. I'm talking to a baby. Everyone here this in the recording. <laughs> okay, let's end with prayer. Well, any other questions? Is that okay? All right. Lord, now let us have a certain part of these according to your word for my eyes and the salvation of the Lord prepared for the base of our people. Alive for life of Gentiles and the glory of that people at your own. Amen. Thank you all.